0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Look, Chava, a check from La Luna Mezcal de Michoacan. Wow, Lou, what are we going to do with that? We're going to strap ourselves in for another episode of Agave Road Trip, brought to you by La Luna Mescal de Michoacan.
2: I'm Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave
1: Road Trip, the podcast that helps educate gringo bartenders about agave in rural Mexico. Don't shoot it, sip it. Don't shoot it sipping. Please, guys. Amen. I, for a second, I thought you were, don't shoot it. You were like, don't shoot the podcast. Do not, too. Don't shoot us. Don't shoot your podcast. But today, are
2: we talking about milling the agave? Right. So we previously talked about what agave is
1: and how you harvest it. And then we talked about roasting the agave. And now we're talking about once
2: you've roasted it, what do you do with it? Well, you have to find a way of making it... Like, how would you describe the consistency that it has? It's like mashed potatoes, sort of. Uh, How do you get it to that state? Yes, exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, because
1: sometimes it's mashed potatoes, but sometimes it's like powdered potatoes, instant mashed potatoes, right? Like, there's so Mm. many different ways to mill it. In essence... what you're trying to do, I believe, is make those sugars accessible to yeasts, right? You've roasted the agave, and generally it's one giant chunk, which means the vast majority of the
2: sugars are going to be stuck inside the body. Exactly, and yeasts are going to have such a hard time to swim and travel and access all those sugars. So you want to make it easier on them. Yes, but how easy is too easy? And this is one of the yeah, yeah, yeah. very difficult discussions that we've had had forever. Every discussion is difficult if you do it right. And Vescaleros have had this discussion. They use different technologies, different tools to to mill their agave for this reason. Right. Not all of them like the same consistency. Right, right. So, you know, you can
1: literally go to places where they mill it before it's roasted using a diffuser, right? And then I've seen places where they use a, a wood chipper, right? Yes. Also, you know, modern
2: equipment, Uh, But then you've also got, what's the uh, tahona? The Taona limestone tahona, some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. So one big piece of limestone chiseled into a wheel. Yes, and a horse will pull that wheel around in circles, right? In this little framework. Uh, And that mills it. Yes. And then there's the crazy ones, the ones that you eat by hand. By hand. So they just take it in their fists and they squeeze it until it's <laughs> tiny pieces. No, they use massive uh, wood mallets. Have you tried that, Lou? How long I did have. you last? Yeah, It's
1: really, oh, not long at all. I, you know, I don't have a lot of staying power, Chava. You know, so the way I like to describe it in my tastings is it looks like Fred Flintstone's baseball bat. That is a very accurate description, yes. But then I've also seen like what looks like Thor's hammer, right? So instead of up and down with that uh, that baseball bat, it's instead
2: like over and over again, like you're trying to build a railroad, pounding the hammer. And then also the, where are you milling the agave plays a role? Sometimes oh. they do it on top of wood, and sometimes you have like a small of made out of, of stone. Yeah. Also the surface you're using to mill it. And then there's people that use concrete. They use the concrete taona and a concrete surface, which yeah. I preferably, I don't necessarily love, but that's also <laughs> happened. That can also yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm guessing then the easiest
1: way is using one of these machines. The hardest way is using something by hand. And why wouldn't everybody do it by hand?
2: Well, uh, because you know we do not produce agave spirits on an everyday basis, we decided to go ask Lalo. Do you remember that? Yeah, we, yeah, went, Eduardo, we went
1: there to. Yeah, we, yeah, we visited Eduardo Anales uh, in Santa Catarina Minas, uh, Oaxaca, back in uh, November 2019. Was that the same trip, or was it March 2019? It was in November. It was November. Uh, so we interviewed him about this because initially, when I first met Lalo, he was using the wood chipper type machine, and then he changed over. Uh, to the uh, the wooden
2: mallet. So, Lalo, take it away. When we mill agave by hand, it's like when we make guacamole. When we place the avocado in the molcajete and crush it with a stone, or even using a mortar, we introduce a lot of new flavors. But if you take the same avocado and put it inside a blender, it becomes more rigid. It does taste like avocado, but nothing else. I talk about guacamole because I think it is a very universal thing and I realized that the same thing happened with agave. When milling it with a machine, all the flavors become very clear, very defined. A tobasiche was only a tobasiche and it didn't have any more flavors around it. When you mill it by hand, you introduce more aromas. The mezcal smells like tobasiche too, but it also smells like flowers, earth, and many other things. Thank you very much, Lalo. Ángeles from La Locura in Santa Catarina, Minas. Uh, That's his take on it. And someone also described this to me in a way that just completely blew my mind. And he told me that the difference between using a taona or a machine where you cannot really control how much are you milling the agave is the difference between a drummer, synthesizer type thing against a jazz drum Like player. a
1: drum machine versus a jazz musician. Well, that's really interesting. You know, because like, you, you want to assume, I would assume, one might assume, uh, that the, you want to mill as efficiently as possible and access all of the sugars. But what if you don't love all of the sugars? If, what if
2: you don't love the taste that that, that makes? <laughs> because not all the sugars are going to be cooked to the same extent. And yeah, like there's so many dynamics in there. Maybe the yield is just not your most important number or your most important priority. Interesting. So there you go. Okay, so uh, that
1: is milling the agave. And in the next episode, we'll we'll talk about what you do after you've milled it, which would be to ferment it. Correct. Right? But right now, right now we're going to go to our segment called Mexico Like a Pro for pro tips traveling to Mexico and i think today's pro tip is going to be about food risk management chava you live in mexico you you've grown up in mexico how do you not have explosive
2: diarrhea all the time i do sometimes unfortunately but i have it less than most people that haven't lived there and i think that after many 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 years of being there you Create certain strategies around yourself. Like there's certain red flags and and green flags that you try to follow. Just like a are simple. There yellow of, flags as well. Just go slowly. Yeah, it's it's like the sea, man. Yeah. I, like there's never certainty that you're not gonna drown. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so what so what are your flags? So a very green flag, something that will assure me that most likely that place is safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Needs of course it needs to be packed all the time yeah yep. but second it needs to be packed with policemen policemen fat policemen so are we are we
1: talking let me get some clarity here are we talking about restaurants or street carts or both street carts street carts yeah yeah, Specifically. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so a restaurant you don't look for cops no no please no
2: okay <laughs> that, that, that's a red flag in, in a restaurant okay so street carts uh, you're looking for police what else Nine to fiver, like a very pretty nine to fiver.
1: Nine to fiver, uh, being a business person. <laughs> correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that's that okay. How you
2: say it in English? Uh, yeah, you, you,
1: you could say nine to fiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eating with their hands. Oh, they're eating something with their hands. A the nine to fiver, the policeman's uh, eating something
2: with his hands or her correct. hands. Correct. Yeah. There are female
1: police officer? I don't know. <laughs> no. There
2: are there are female police officers, and most like like, but the most important part of this is use your nose, use your oh. senses feels smells good, it's most likely gonna taste good and it's most likely not gonna hurt you. God, you know, so I, I get that, but I'll tell you, for me,
1: uh I've got rules. And oh, my gosh. my biggest overriding rule is nothing that isn't cooked. Now, I'll make exceptions to that. Like I'll eat raw onion, I'll eat uh, raw cilantro, and I'll totally do the salsas. Ceviche? And I, ceviche? Well, do Never you ceviche. ceviche. Oh, Not a man. freaking chance would <laughs> I do ceviche. Um, but you know, lettuce in particular is my enemy. I've, I've, of the 50 trips I've made to Mexico, I have been sick exactly twice. Once, I am certain it was the lettuce, The second time, it was the green chorizo. And I'd seen that green chorizo hanging in that same place a week before, and I just wanted to see if it was still good. And we all
2: suffer for that, Lou. I remember that (laughs) clearly. I got
1: to share my (laughs) suffering with you. So there you go. So if you're traveling through Mexico and you want to grab something to eat on the street, look for the policeman and the 9 to fiver eating with their hands, and make sure that when you order it, you order it without lettuce. And if you take salsa, just prepare to uh, suffer. Okay. So then let's do, uh, to finish out this episode, uh, our other singular objective, and let's make that objective chocolate. The thing that I love about chocolate in Mexico is entirely based around
2: our friends Daniel and Monica at La Rifa Chocolateria in Mexico City. Which has become my go-to place since I met you and I met them. It's just some of the most delicious chocolate I've ever had in my life. Yeah, it's so
1: great. They they took me on a tour uh, back in January of 2019, uh, took me on a tour of Chiapas and Tabasco to see where their cacao comes from to make their chocolate. And the epiphany for me was every time I buy fancy chocolate bars, they tend to say, this came from Venezuela, right? This came from Ghana. <laughs> cool, but they don't tell me the varietal. Just like agave, there are varietals of cacao, right? Yes, correct. yeah, yeah. So what they tell me at the um, on the, the the chocolate I buy from my friends at Arifa, they tell me the varietal, and they they separate the cacao by varietal. So you're tasting a bar that's made from, say,
2: uh, 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 a Blanco Jaguar. Okay, yeah, I'm not very familiar with That's cacao. the white, you, the white you jaguar, are, yeah. You're the expert and, and, on this one.
1: And then they get that varietal from two different farms, and they'll tell you which farm it came from. And, you know, the, those farms, it's not like a farm, like you're picturing corn, rows of corn. It's literally trees that are growing these cacao pods. And in amongst the trees, it's a forest. In amongst the trees are all these other beautiful things growing like vanilla
2: beans and passion fruit. And I think that comes out in the finished product. And I also love that they separate by, by processes, They'll give you the wash and the fermented. So it becomes it becomes a crazy experience. This thing that you know very well that we all have been eating forever, suddenly explodes in front of you and diversity like it just becomes something very different. yeah. so so chocolate, that's another reason to go to Mexico and definitely make
1: sure you stop by Mexico City and visit our friends at La Rifa and have a good chocolate time. I think we're
2: gonna go over and out for this episode, Chava. Yes, yeah, so I want some of the chocolate you have there on your, <laughs> <laughs> in, in your house, so let's do that. That's a deal. We'll be back to talk about fermentation in the next episode. Goodbye, guys. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. The hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Perivan. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.net. Distributed by Heritage Radio Network, the best network in the world for podcasts about food, drink, and agriculture. Agave Road Trip is brought to you by La Luna Mezcal de Michoacán. Hey Lou, I was wondering if you ever drink mezcal cocktails, and if you do... Do you happen to know any secret, obscure formula to make them truly delicious? <laughs> Why, as a matter of fact, Java, I have. I have tried the Cupriata mezcal from our friends at
1: La Luna Mezcal. Uh, so you know, it's one of it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, of the cocktail Mescal's What people call cocktail mezcal, and it's sort of a term that I think people use uh, uh, sometimes derisively. But I got to say, I will drink neat. Mescal cupriata from la luna and i also enjoy it in a cocktail and i don't tend to drink cocktails that much uh it's funny i, I had uh, my friend uh, michael rubel at a make some uh cocktails for me and i asked him to try different mescals in them and my favorite blind taste test was the one that had the la luna cupriata thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you